Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I'm Connie, along with punk rock princess of 2007, Meg. She is going to tell us about the Playboy Bunny curse. All right. I'm really glad that you used that nickname for me because do you remember in high school? Yes. How I, yes, how I and you, I think. How we were obsessed with pinups. Yeah. And I was very into Betty Page. Betty Page. I, every time I think of Betty Page, even when we had our years of the lost years, as I've been calling <laughs> the lost years. Yeah. I think of every time I would see Betty Page, I'd be like, oh. I know. Yay. I loved her. I read the Rocketeer comic. Because I found out that the girlfriend was based on Betty Page. I was like 14. And I would go to BettyPage.com on the regular because I was obsessed. And I would print out pictures of her and I had them hanging Mm -hmm. on my walls. I had stickers of her on my car. I rocked black hair and bangs forever. Do you have a Betty Page tattoo? No, I don't. I do not have a Betty Page tattoo. But I did think about it. (laughs) I don't. No, I don't know. And I will tell you why in, in just a minute. Because she actually had a very tragic life after being Betty Page. Um, I know. I don't want to like glorify that time in her life. When, and I'll tell you about it in a minute. Anyways. But as I've gotten older, it's just I really appreciate like boudoir photography and mm-hmm. burlesque and all of those things. They just, I don't know. They really piqued my interest in about the cases that I want to talk about today. Yeah, I think it's healthy. I know there's there you're always going to have the people who think like it's taboo. And but I think it is dope when a woman can own her curves, own her body and flaunt that shit. Like yeah. I am 10 out of 10, I am here for Do it. Do it. Yes. I will it's- cheer you on. I will take some pictures of you. <laughs> I remember we took <laughs> We were we we took pictures that no one ever saw. I think your mom took them. Do you remember this? Your mom took pictures of us and we were all like, "Oh, I do have those pictures. I know exactly what you're talking about." Yes. I we have had those pictures. Flaunt- we had nothing to be flaunting. Yeah, but- in bathing suits. Mm-hmm. They're not even like that fancy. No. They're not what you're thinking that they look like. No, they I got to find us like and send them to you. They're hilarious we do have the picture and i have it in the book of love that you made (laughs) (laughs) for anyone that doesn't know uh megan and i were i think all of our our parents friends like everyone just assumed we were like dating (laughs) that's how like tight we We were only hung out with each other (laughs) it's just us what sealed the deal is I turned 17, I think, six, 17 or – yeah, I think I was 17. 17, yeah. Megan made me a book about <laughs> us, and my husband found it however many years later, and he's like, dude, like, did you guys date? Like, this is a book of love. <laughs> no, we just loved each other. <laughs> we just are very – Platonically. <laughs> how much we love each other. Two women can – love each other and everything about each other and make books about it. But there's, I, back, there is a picture from this photo shoot of the, we're in a bathtub with bubbles. We have our bathing suits on and we're cheers. Like we have glasses. We're like cheering to like, yeah, it's probably just water. It was because your yeah. mom took it. Yeah. Uh, she was like, no, not anyways. Not tripped on memory lane. <laughs> Digression. <Aww>. Um, <laughs> so Easter was a little while ago. Hope you guys had a nice one, whatever you did. And when I went to post on her Instagram, I was like, bunnies, mm, playboy bunnies. And I remember my older brother had once told me that Jane Mansfield, who was in Playboy at one point, she had been decapitated in a car accident. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll do a little bit about that. But then I started to investigate it. And I was very surprised to find out how many playmates lives have suffered and gone down very scary paths after posing for the magazine or working for the magazine. Mm -hmm. They have died under mysterious and horrific circumstances. Just a lot of terrible things. So many that it is rumored that there is a play boy bunny curse. And I know that most of our listeners know what playboy is. 
But if you don't, (laughs) it was a magazine that was started in 1953, featured nude models and lots of stories and articles and comics from very famous people like Ray Bradbury and Roald Dahl, Chuck Palunic. Yeah, there's some pretty gnarly articles and stuff. Yeah, Shel Silverstein used to draw cartoons for them. Margaret Atwood wrote for them. Lots of interviews with celebrities, but the real pull was beautiful naked women, obviously. And they were the ones that made Playboy that iconic brand, you know, the one with the sticker that girls put on themselves. Hey, <laughs> I did that. You go tanning in the tanning bin, you peel the sticker up, and you have a Playboy bunny. Like, I have a Playboy bunny. I'm 14. <laughs> exactly. Hey. That's exactly right. So, for the record, Playboy is no longer circulated. It is exclusively online content now. There are no more magazines. I don't know why I didn't know that. It just happened in like 2018. It's pretty recent. But when we moved into our house, our house is like a million years old. And uh, there, there were all kinds of treasures in it when I moved in. And I found like a hundred Playboys from the 60s and 70s. And I have them in a tote. And I want to do something with them. But I don't That's know. That's awesome. I would just keep them. I know. I was like looking through them. I'm like, these are amazing. They're very cool. Uh, maybe I'll find the tote and I'll take a picture of it for insert or something. Do it. So we posted about that. We ended up posting about Playboy and everybody was like, yes, we want to know about it. So here I am. And I am not going to give the details of how every single woman's case happened post Playboy. Yeah, and I think at some point maybe we'll do like in-depth ones or like because they are really big cases. Maybe they'll be like ones we cover on our Patreon. But yeah, uh, every time I thought I made a full list, I found another playmate. Yeah, like and we would be here for hours and hours. It would require so much more research. Like I could write a book about it by the time I was done. It was nuts. Um, I found at least 22 girls that had worked for Playboy and met early deaths or horrific circumstances. And because there's so many, I'm just going to go deaths per decade. So we're going to do the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s, just in order. And starting in the 50s with probably the most household name. You know who I'm going to talk about first? Marilyn Monroe. Yes. I knew it. I knew you'd know. Um, So as I said, Playboy was started by Hugh Hefner in 1953. And the very first issue featured Marilyn Monroe. And it's pretty well known that Marilyn died in her 30s from a sleeping pill overdose. And there are a ton of conspiracy theories. I was going to say allegedly. Allegedly. Um, A little piece that I didn't know about her death was that the day that she died, she had met again with Lauren Schiller, who was the Playboy photographer. And she was talking to him about publishing nude photos of her on the set of Something's Got to Give. So she died in the 60s, and the first time she was in it, it this was 10 years later. I thought that was an interesting little tidbit. And after she met with him that morning, she had a pretty normal day. In the afternoon, she met with her psychiatrist around 4.30. And after that appointment, before the psychiatrist left, he asked her housekeeper, Eunice, to stay the night at her house that night to keep her company. Marilyn struggled with depression. And a lot of modern psychiatrists suggested that she might have had borderline personality disorder. So she struggled. In the evening around 8 o'clock, she went to her room and locked the door. And a little while later, an actor and JFK's brother-in-law, Peter Lawford, he called Marilyn to ask her to come out to a party. Again, this is all allegedly, right? So he was having trouble understanding her. It was because she sounded like she was high. And her last words on the phone to him were, say goodbye to Pat, say goodbye to the president, and say goodbye to yourself because you're a nice guy. And then she just kind of drifted off. And she didn't hang up and Lawford was really disturbed. So he called his agent who called Marilyn's psychiatrist, who called the housekeeper, Eunice. This was 10 o'clock, and Eunice said she was pretty sure that she was fine just sleeping. But at 3.30, Eunice woke up out of a dead sleep and felt like she needed to go check on her. The bedroom door was locked, 
So she went outside to peek in her bedroom window, and she saw Marilyn Monroe lying face down on her bed with the phone still in her hand. Her confirmed time of death was Sunday, August 5th, 1962 at 4.25 a.m. And again, a million conspiracy theories. I think the big one is JFK and the CIA or the FBI. Um, there's a podcast called Conspiracy Theories, and they have a whole episode on it. I think it's a two-part episode, actually. So if you want to hear specific to that, there you go. But sadly, Marilyn was not the last playmate to overdose on sleeping pills. And then, as we just talked about, Betty Page, she's coming in next. She was featured in Playboy in 1955, but Betty's life ended in 2008 after struggling with paranoid schizophrenia. She had many long-term stays in psychiatric hospitals. In 1978, she got into a fight with her landlady, and that's when she was diagnosed with that acute schizophrenia. And she spent two years in a state hospital after that. I had no idea. I know. it's It gets worse. After she got out of this that state hospital, she broke into her new landlord's home and threatened to stab him with a knife that she had brought over like a dispute. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. They arrested her and she was found not guilty by reason of insanity and they put her into state custody for another eight years. She died pretty much alone, which is awful because she was really forgotten and penniless for much of her life. Oh, my God. And she was she's like this major contribution to alternative pop culture and uh robin leach lifestyles of the rich and famous guy he Mm -hmm. called her once in the 90s to ask her how she felt about all of these like women with like the betty bangs and like the olivia art all the stuff that was going around about her and she had no idea that people even knew or cared about her she said that she was penniless and she was infamous and no one liked her And it wasn't until the 2000s when someone did a documentary on her and realized that like they were making money on her face and they called her. He said, hey, I think you could profit from this. And she didn't even start making money until a couple of years before she died. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. In 2013, her estate was worth $10 million. And she was broke. Yeah. And she never saw any of it. Did she have kids? Do you know? Oh, she died alone. Like completely alone. Oh. So, so sad. I remember I remember when she died in 2008 and there was a documentary that came out and I watched the documentary and I was just heartbroken, like listening yeah. to it and watching it. So that, and that's part of the reason why I never got a Betty Page tattoo because I was like... Yeah, I know. I understand. Everyone abandoned her. I don't want to like glorify this one part of her life because yeah. she would deserve to be glorified for her entire life. Like many other playmates. Yeah, who <laughs> are still going. Because yeah. next is Jane Mansfield. But before Jane, I want to know Eve Meyer, who also posed in 1955. Eve Meyer died in the deadliest plane crash of all time in the Canary Islands. What? Yeah, two diverted flights. Um, one was a flight from New York and one was a flight from the Netherlands. They collided because of a terrorist attack and 583 people died in the Canary Islands. Yeah. I don't know if that makes me naive, but I've never heard of that. It's I hadn't heard of it either. It's the the Tenerife Airport disaster. That's what it was called. So I'm she have to do more research on this. Eve Meyer died in the Tenerife Airport disaster. On March 27th, 1977, 583 deaths. So awful. And that was, I'm not going to, I can't really go more in depth than that because that alone, it's another case, right? Terrorist attacks and, but just so weird. Yeah. Like these women are dying in just the strangest circumstances. But in 1958, Jane Mansfield posed for Playboy. Iconic. Well, and that's the thing. Marilyn Monroe always gets the 50s blonde bombshell note but mm-hmm. Marilyn walked so that Jane could run mm-hmm. and run she did because she was sassy she was doing Broadway and then they sat they signed her to 20th Century Fox because they thought Marilyn was becoming difficult to work with so she was actually hired to replace Marilyn Monroe uh, Jane did the first ever nude scene in a movie and she was constantly suffering from quote unquote wardrobe malfunctions She regularly invited press and photographers to her home, and she loved the spotlight. And she was given the spotlight, partly because of her early appearances in Playboy. And I say appearances 
because she was in the magazine every February from 1955 until 1958, and then again in 1960. And again in 1963, Playboy published photos from her first nude scene in a movie, and they got caught with obscenity charges because of it. Jane was incredibly smart. Even though she was billed as a dumb blonde, she had an IQ of 163. She spoke four languages and had classical piano and violin training. Despite this, she was married and divorced three times and had five children. One of which is our favorite Law & Order SVU badass, Captain Olivia Benson. Mm -hmm. Mariska Hardigay. Sadly, when Mariska was three years old in 1967, Jane met her untimely death. On June 29th, after performing at a nightclub, Jane was riding in the front of her car with her driver and boyfriend and her dog. Three of her five kids were asleep in the back seat. Mariska, three. Zoltan, six. And Miklos, eight. I know those names are wild. When mm-hmm. I was reading them, I was like, okay, we'll take them. Zoltan, we'll take it. Zoltan, yes, yeah, specifically. Shortly after 2 a.m., the car slammed into the back of a semi-truck, and the collision instantly killed the adults and the dog in the front seat. They couldn't see the truck because there was a machine pumping out a thick fog of mosquito repellent nearby, and there was that rumor, same when my brother told me, that she was decapitated. But Mm -hmm. this was because the top of the car was sheared off after it slid under the back of the trailer and her wig had been thrown from the vehicle. The upper portion of her head was severed. So if anything, she was scalped. Uh, I know. It's horrific. Can you imagine? uh, No. no. (laughs) Um, And this accident is why semi-trucks now have to have that lower bar on the back of their trailer. It's called a Mansfield bar. So that stuff like that doesn't happen. I never realized that Mariska was in, like, I I guess I never researched enough. You like, you know, a little bit about it, but I didn't know that she was like in the car. Yeah. She was asleep in the back seat. Oh. And then her older kids weren't with her, which is crazy. And I read an interview with her talking about her mom's death. And she said that she just has to lean into it. And she knows that her mom is built as that dumb blonde, but she was incredibly smart and kind. And just yeah. when I read that she could speak four languages and had an IQ of 163, I was like, dang, I had no idea. Yeah, I didn't either. So moving into the 60s and as bad as the ladies in the 50s had it, the 60s playmates seem to have had the worst luck. Paige Young from 1968 was linked to a slew of male celebrities, most notably Bill Cosby. She committed suicide, but she planned her suicide scene and shot herself on top of an American flag in an attempt to raise awareness of the poor treatment that she and other women were receiving from these famous men. Oh, my God. I know. She invited her friend over and walked her friend through the whole scene and told her what she was going to do and why she was going to do it. Her suicide note listed what had happened to her and (laughs) it did nothing. Like no one even cared. She thought that her committing suicide would like bring about this big investigation and make all, she thought it would be like the me too of the sixties. Yeah, that's what, this is what would happen, but nothing happened. It was almost unreported in the news. Claudia Jennings Playmate of the Year for 1970, was also called the Queen of B-Movies. She died in a car accident in Malibu. Connie Kresge, the Playmate of the Year 1969, had a blocked carotid artery at age 48. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. And Allison Parks, Playmate of the Year 1966, died from early heart failure. But the woman I'm going to talk about for the 60s specifically, is Bobby Arnstein, who was Hugh Hefner's executive secretary and a major part of the Playboy family from 1960 until her untimely death in 1974. Bobby started working for Hugh right out of high school in Chicago, and they initially dated, but they realized that they just worked really well together, so they became very close friends, and she was essentially his right-hand man. But unfortunately, she wasn't a man. And this is the 60s. 
Mm. It prevented her from moving up with the company. Men kept getting the positions that she deserved and worked very hard for. But regardless, she kept working hard. Even harder after she was in a car accident, which badly injured her and killed her fiance. Oh, It ruined her. After this, she really just kind of started emulating Hugh Hefner's lifestyle. She worked really long hours. She started dating like tons of younger men. And in the early 70s, she began seeing this man named Ron, and he was seven years younger than her. Ron was also a Coke dealer. And in 1974, she and Ron, along with some other men, were arrested in front of the Chicago Playboy Mansion while they were conspiring to transport a half pound of cocaine across state lines. So at this time in history, Playboy was being investigated by the IRS and they were facing a discrimination lawsuit and Nixon had put Hugh Hefner on his enemies list. Her arrest was just kind of fuel to that fire of the government wanting to bring Playboy down. Mm-hmm. And the trial lasted eight weeks after she was arrested and Bobby was sentenced to 15 years in prison. For a half a pound of coke? It was five years longer than any of the dudes that were also arrested for the same crime and she wasn't even the one dealing it. She, It's, it's crazy. It's just because she was a woman and because she worked for Playboy. She was released pending an appeal, but the Illinois DA told her that someone had a hit out on her and he told her that because he wanted to scare her because they wanted her to be a mole so that they could ruin playboy and hugh hefner the government had wanted to do it since the 50s and they finally had this person right in their pocket they had this person who was close to hugh who knew everything about everything he'd never see it coming yeah but the thing about hugh hefner is he had like questionable dating techniques standards whatever Mm -hmm. but he was very moral like he never did any drugs he didn't even really drink um the whole mansion had regular sweeps while she was out to check for bugs and planted drugs everyone was on edge and bobby felt incredibly guilty for all of this she refused to cooperate with the police or speak in her own defense because she had dedicated her life to playboy Mm-hmm. And she wanted to give no reason for anyone at the magazine to get hurt or the magazine itself. And all of this also brought up another case about another Playboy bunny that had OD'd on Quaaludes a few years before in the Playboy mansion. Mm-hmm. So the, the police, they want to associate Playboy with drugs and sex and debauchery. And that was the first time that Bobby attempted to kill herself by taking sleeping pills. But she failed. After this... Hugh really wanted her to move to the California mansion and work, but she didn't want to live in a car-dependent city. But they, she stayed in Chicago, and they gave her a raise and a title, assistant to the president. One night, Bobby had some drinks and checked into a hotel under a fake name. She hung a Do Not Disturb sign on the door, and when the hotel staff went to open her door, they found that she had been dead for 12 hours due to a combination of tranquilizers and sleeping pills. Hugh was a mess because she'd been there for 15 years. You know, almost from the inception, he gave a very teary eyed press conference in which he told everyone that Bobby did not deserve what had happened just because of her association with Playboy and him. She became the central focus of a case that she was only peripherally peripherally involved in. And he called her the brightest, most worthwhile woman he had ever known. And the focus on her was a witch hunt. The media agreed with him. Yeah. How could you not? Yeah, exactly. But the damage was done. And after that year, Playboy started a descent. They never sold as many magazines as they did any year after this year. So it just went, woo. Arnstein's suicide note ended by saying, this last decision, being of my own choosing, was the only one I've ever felt able to exercise over which I've had complete control. And that's on being a woman in the 60s. Uh, Yeah, I know. I I hate that. Yeah, it sucks. Uh, And with that sad note, we're going to move to the 70s because we're not even halfway done, friends. Yeah, (laughs) jeez. I know. Uh, Star Stowe. Her real name was Ellen Louise Maligo, and she was Playmate of the Month in 1977. She was the first Playmate with a visible tattoo, and she one time 
dated Gene Simmons of Kiss. What One of their vinyl albums is a picture of her. Stowe became a stripper and eventually a sex worker in, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida after her stint with Playboy. On March 16, 1997, at around 3 p.m., Star disappeared. Her body was found three days before her 41st birthday behind a pharmacy. She had been strangled and was partially clothed. She had been picked up, murdered, and her body dumped a little after 5 p.m. Police also linked her murder to Sandra K. Walters, another sir. An- <laughs> Police linked her murder to Sandra K. Walters, who was another sex worker that had been strangled and dumped in Fort Lauderdale a few weeks before her. Several other sex workers in that area were also strangled and dumped, and it's believed that there's a serial killer in that area that has never been caught. Star Stowe and those other women's cases have never been solved. Oh, I know that that one sucks. I almost missed this one too when I was researching all of them. It just slipped through the cracks because there's so little about yeah. it. It's just a blip, which also makes me very sad. Yeah. In addition to Star, Carol Willis, playmate, July 1970, died in a car accident in Laguna Beach, California at just 20 years old. Willie Ray, a 71 centerfold overdosed on sleeping pills. It's awful. Moving into the 80s, we're going to talk about one that affected Hugh very intensely. Mm, I've just been waiting as, for this one. Yeah, here it is. Um, just as much as Bobby before. And this was Dorothy Stratton. You might have heard her. There have been a few movies made about her. There are songs written about her. She was Playmate of the Year in 1980, but featured in 1979. A few months before she was due to take her crown for 1980 on August 14th, Stratton was raped and murdered by her estranged husband, Paul Snyder, and she was only 20 years old. Snyder had actually scouted Dorothy as a teenager in Vancouver while she was working at an ice cream shop. He was a 26-year-old pimp, and he worked at a local strip club. He began dating Dorothy. She was just turned 18, maybe even 17, actually, now that I think about it. He paid a photographer to take nude photos of her so that he could mail them to Playboy because Playboy was having their 25th anniversary great playmate hunt. Mm-hmm. Her mom had to sign a form because 19 was the age of consent in Vancouver, and she was only 18, and she was chosen as a finalist. She moved to Los Angeles in August of 1978, and Paul moved out to join her in October. In June of 79, they were married. She began working at the Century City Playboy Club as a bunny, and she became Miss August for that year. Hugh Hefner really thought that she could cross over into acting and do big things because she was beautiful, like ethereal. Yeah, like next level, you can't even describe how beautiful she yeah, was. No makeup, just pff, amazing. Yeah. So he helped her get auditions for television and she ended up booking several gigs. And she had only been in Los Angeles for not even a year and she had already done movies and television and commercials. Hefner told her that she needed to leave Snyder because he was a hustler. And her friends mm-hmm. also told Dorothy that Snyder's behavior was not okay. And they tried to warn her that he was bad news. He made himself a constant presence. He constantly criticized her and picked fights with her. He was incredibly jealous. Mm-hmm. After she booked a movie, she headed to New York to film, and she convinced Paul that he could not come because it was only open to cast and crew, which wasn't true. She just didn't want him there. She ended up having an affair with the director of this movie that she was working on, and the director had written her character as an unhappily married woman who was the love interest of the main character, and he took that inspiration directly from her life. Dorothy, while she was in New York, sent a letter and asked Snyder for freedom from her relationship, and he flew into a jealous rage, calling her immediately after reading it. She offered to give up her new career, all of her success, and move back to Canada with him, and he refused because he also relied on her fame in her success. Mm -hmm. When she returned to LA, she got an apartment, but she actually moved in with the director. She left Snyder, who sold off all of the Playboy gifts she had received for her Playmate of the Year win. He sold a Jaguar at a loss. He sold everything at a loss just to get a quick butt. A butt? (laughs) Just to get a a quick, quick buck. He hired a P.I., to stalk her. And once he realized she was living with the director, he hid in the bushes outside of that home and waited with a borrowed handgun to shoot the first person he saw. But no one came or went, so he left because he was impatient. 
and an asshole. Dorothy, <laughs> obviously he sucks because he gives up quickly. Dummy. Um, Dorothy had agreed to meet him to discuss their divorce. And she told everyone it would just be easier if she did it in person. He was being nice and she really wanted to stay friends because she was incredibly kind. Yes. Everyone, her lawyer, her friends, her new boyfriend, Hugh, told her not to go. Her lawyer specifically said, I can make this so that you have don't have to talk to him ever again. But she wanted to be nice. When she got to her former home that Paul now shared with roommates, they were alone. At eight o'clock, when the roommates returned home, they saw that Paul's door was closed and Dorothy's car was still in the driveway. They assumed that they were making up and they sat in the living room watching TV for a few hours. The PI that Paul had hired, had he had asked him to buy him a gun on more than one occasion and the PI refused several times. He called and they told him they're like, they've been in there for a long time and he asked one of the roommates to open the bedroom door and there they found both Paul and Dorothy naked and dead from a single shotgun blast to the face. It appeared as though she had been sodomized and attached to Paul's homemade bondage rack with duct tape, and he was found with a large chunk of her hair in his hand. Photos of this crime scene are very widely shared because of her fame. Her murder was turned into a made-for-television movie called Death of a Centerfold. Dorothy was played by Jamie Lee Curtis. The song Californication by Red Hot Chili Peppers is about Dorothy. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's what it's about. Brian Adams wrote the song The Best Was Yet to Come about her, and Bush wrote a song called Dead Meat that's also about her. The director that she had moved in with, his name was Peter Bogdanovich, and he sunk his entire net worth into buying the rights to the movie that he made with her because it was the last time he was with her, you know? Mm-hmm. The movie's called They All Laughed, and he wrote a book about this whole story. It's called The Killing of the Unicorn. He was completely heartbroken, and even more weird, he married Dorothy Stratton's sister, Louise, when yeah, she was Yeah, her younger 20. sister. Yep. He paid oh. for her to go to school, and then when she was 20, he married her. And Hugh still talked about her death into the 2000s and how it affected him. Mm. And no, friends, we're not done. And that's that's the hardest one for me to hear. Like, uh, I have like chills and I'm like teary eyed. And I've heard, I've read about her. I know the Dorothy story well. It's just it's, so sad. She was just 20, you know? I can't imagine. And you hear all these things that she's done and like that she had been doing. And you're like, oh, she's older. And then like, you're like. She really, you, she really would have been like an A-list star. Oh, absolutely. She was moving up in that direction very quickly. Mm -hmm. (sighs) You ready for the nineties? You know, I love the (laughs) nineties. Well, I think the big name out of the nineties, maybe not as big anymore, but Anna Nicole Smith Mm -hmm. died at 39 from an accidental drug overdose Her son died almost exactly a year before she did when he was only 20, and she had only had a baby girl the month before she died. No one knew who that girl, little girl's father was. There was also a gal who died very young of natural causes, and her name was Alyssa Bridges. That was another playmate that died in the 90s. But we're going to talk about Stephanie Adams, who was Miss November 1992 and appeared again in the magazine in 2003. In addition to this, Stephanie wrote nearly 25 self-help books. She owned a publishing company and she ran a beauty company called Goddessy Organics. She also co-owned her chiropractor husband's practice. Early wow. in her Yeah. Early in her career, she came out as a lesbian, but then got engaged and married to a man for the second time because she had been married once to a man, came out as a lesbian and then married another man. She also divorced that man, which is what led to Stephanie's horrific end. Unrelated to that, in 2006, she got into an argument with a cab driver who called the police and said she had a gun, which was a lie. The police came and were too aggressive. Shocking, right? NYPD being too aggressive, I don't believe Mm. it. She filed a lawsuit against the NYPD and won $400,000 from them. Oh, wow. They actually initially awarded her $1.2 million, but a judge knocked it down. Mm. Twelve years later, Stephanie and her former husband were embroiled in a nasty custody battle. On May 17th, 2018... She checked into the 25th floor penthouse suite with her seven-year-old son, Vincent. This was a few hours 
after she told the New York Post that her ex and his lawyer were blocking her from taking her son away on a vacation. She said, quote, All I want to do is take my son and get away from this nightmare for a few days. The police had been to their home several times over the last few months for domestic dis- disputes, and their divorce was so intense that they had to do custody handoffs at a police precinct. Jesus. Ugh, I know. Around 8.15 the next day, Stephanie and her son Vincent fell 23 floors and were found dead on a second floor balcony. She had committed suicide and she took her son with her. I don't even have anything to say to that. That one brings tears to my eyes. That one kind of pisses me off. Yeah. Actually, in your own son. I just... I think that when you... I think when you get to the point where you are willing to do anything to hurt someone else, including hurting someone that you are supposed to protect and, and love, love, yes, that is unforgivable. That also, type of- like you know, like call nine one one and be like, I, I, sorry, I just, you're right. It's unfair and it's frustrating. That is a level. I mean, I, I have been in shitty custody situations and I can never imagine doing something to like, I I just can't, like I cannot imagine getting what would have to happen to get to that point where that level in your brain, it's like, you know, the best, the best thing for this situation is I'm going to commit suicide and I'm going to murder my child. Like that, that, how do you get to that point when it's, you think that that is the, because you're mad about not being able to like go on vacation. Like you're, Obviously, this was very troubled for yeah, a long like, time. It's you're fighting for custody of us. It's like, well, if I can't have him, nobody's going to have him. Yeah, Selfish. and it's like you're you still had him. Like you still got to. I mean, honestly, there are there are dads who get a way worse and worse end of a stick when it comes to custody situations because. In America, as everyone knows, it is very uncommon for the dad to have as many rights or to it's it's not fair, but it's that's how it happens. If you're a mom, that's kind of you have to It's the expectation that you get the kids. Yeah, you have to be have some ex very unique circumstances to where you're not held favorably in a court of law when it comes to like custody battles. So there are plenty of dads who have been in way worse situations where they haven't seen their children at all because the mom has decided not to let them versus, oh, I'm sorry, I couldn't go on vacation. I couldn't take him away for a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah, Like you just took him away from everyone forever. Like that's- Yeah. mm. And yourself. Yeah. You could have- Yeah. Now- you should have shared. I know it's that one's a, that one's a rough one. That one's tough. So we better just go to the two thousands. Yeah, <laughs> just to give me the fuck out of the nineties. Get out of the nineties here, Cassandra Hensley, the a two thousand six centerfold and wife and mom of two, accidentally overdosed in a friend's bathtub in twenty fourteen. We have Miss March, twenty eleven. A playmate named Ashley Mattingly, who just last year, 2020, committed suicide by gunshot. She had been training to be a pilot. She had just adopted a puppy. She had been going to horseback riding therapy. But that's strange. May of 2009, Christina Carlin Craft was the cyber girl of the week. And in August of 2018, she was murdered at 36 by a man she had only met that morning. Oh my God. In her own home in Pennsylvania, Christina had her hands tied behind her back and was strangled to death by a man named Jonathan Harris, who claimed that they were doing drugs and he was too high to remember anything that had happened. Oh, that's convenient. Mm-hmm. He murdered her and then robbed her and was trying to flee via bus, but he was arrested and convicted of first degree murder. He's currently serving life in prison. Like on a bus? Yeah, like he was trying to hop a greyhound out of town. I'm like big mad about that. (laughs) God. Rent rent a car, I guess. Like, what the hell? You're going to do these... A a bus? Yep, they caught him at a bus stop in uh, Philadelphia. Mm. (laughs) Uh, Probably the most horrific of all of these cases is the last one I'm going to tell you about right now. Uh. And it's about Jasmine Fiore. 
who helped run and model for Playboy's Girls of Golf. Jasmine was a swimsuit model and a body paint model, but she was never actually featured in Playboy magazine. She just worked Playboy events. She also worked events in Las Vegas. She acted. She had a real estate license. She was opening a gym. These women are all very like busy. You know, they're getting stuff done. Jasmine met her husband, Ryan Jenkins, at a Las Vegas casino. He had just finished filming Megan Wants a Millionaire. And I don't know if you remember that show, but I was watching it while it was airing. And this girl, Megan, she was on Rock of Love, She, uh, which was the one where they tried to find Brett Michaels' love, right? Yep. And then she was on I Love Money, and then she was on Rock of Love Charm School. I was super into the VH1 reality shows. Sorry. Yeah, like, I remember that. <laughs> I loved it. I, I, that whole like... Like 2005 to like 2010, all of those. You I were was like, like VH1. I did all the MTV. I was more of the like Laguna Beach. And <laughs> yeah, I just loved those stupid reality Real world. shows. Um, the contests. I was like, it's a contest. I want this flavor. Flavor of love. Flavor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, flavor of love. New York. Who loves New York? Yeah. <laughs> so many good ones. I'm sorry. But, anyways, we digress. Digress. Uh, when I was watching it, it stopped airing with like three episodes left. And I was like, what, what happened? I want to know who wins. And so I like got online and there was no website. It was totally wiped from VH1 site. And I will tell you why in just a minute. Ryan Jenkins had competed on that show and finished in third place. But Megan says that they made a very real connection and she wanted to pick him, but the producers wouldn't let her. When she called him a couple of days after they finished wrapping production, he found out that Ryan had met Jasmine in Vegas and got married at the Little White Chapel two days later. It's kind of like he lost, but he wasn't going to lose life. He's still going to mm. get get him a little a blonde wife. girl. Yeah, get, get him a trophy wife. They met on March 18th, 2009. So on the 20th, they were married. What he did not learn in the two days of getting to know Jasmine, that she was very good friends with her ex-boyfriends. And when he found that out, he was not happy because he, like the other idiots in this episode, (laughs) he is a jealous asshole. Shortly after getting married... He had to go film another reality show that he was a part of, I Love Money 3, and it was in Mexico. And he called Jasmine constantly, so much that they made a storyline of it on the show. And they showed how obsessed he was with her because she was a model and they thought it was funny. But her mom said that they actually had the marriage annulled in May. There are no records that indicate that, though. After he was done filming that show, they did break up. And she was seeing a guy that she had previously talked to. But she and her supposed ex-husband were also still hooking up. And they shared a home. By June 2009, police had to be called to their residence to settle a domestic dispute. Ryan had hit Jasmine and knocked her into a swimming pool. And he was set to go to trial for that in December. But before that happened, they reconciled and decided to go to San Diego for a little vacation poker game in August. They checked into their hotel in Del Mar, San Diego. On Thursday, August 13th, 2009, for a poker fundraiser. The 14th. They're seen leaving the hotel at 2.30 a.m. after the poker game. They go to the Ivy Hotel to drink, and they're seen on surveillance at that nightclub around 4.30. On the return footage to the hotel, Jenkins arrives alone, and Fiore was not seen alive again after that night. I I see it in your face. You're just like, damn it, another one. Now, the friends that they were playing poker with said that they had gotten into a huge fight that night. She had a cutting sense of humor, which I think we can relate to. (laughs) Ain't nothing like burning someone and then Mm. laughing about it. And that's what she did. She was like cutting into Ryan pretty well. And he was getting visibly angry. She was also spending a lot of time on the phone in the bathroom. And she told everyone she was talking to her mom, but it was like one o'clock in the morning. Mm. And at around 1.30, after they were fighting in front of everyone, they went upstairs to their room to continue fighting. She had been texting an ex-boyfriend all of Thursday night and early into Friday morning. She had told him that after she was done there, she wanted to drive to Las Vegas to see him. Friday night, he got a random text from her phone number that said, suck it, hours after she had disappeared. Hmm. Hmm. Who could it be? <laughs> I, so stupid. I know. I know you would. I thought you would suck laugh it. at suck it. Like, what the? F- 
<laughs> What's wrong with you? You know that TikTok it's 2009. like you see a guy it's like talks about like toxic traits that guys have and it's like, oh, how big is it? This big? This big? Oh, <laughs> that's instantly what I think about, like the opposite of BDE. If you are that insanely jealous, it's small. TDE. Tiny, tiny DE. Yes. And I know that we have some <laughs> listeners who are, who are like, younger. what's DE? <laughs> sorry, moms. I'm so sorry. Text me. Idiot. I'll let you know. <laughs> sorry. Jasmine's body was discovered on Saturday, August 15th at 7 a.m. by a man looking for recyclables in the trash. Oh, no. He found a suitcase that was partially opened. And he lifted up a corner and thought he saw skin, but he wasn't sure. So he lifted the lid of the suitcase again and saw that it was a body covered in marks. And he immediately called 911. She had been beaten and crushed into a suitcase in an alleyway dumpster in Buena Park, California. Oh, my God. Her teeth and her fingers had been removed before her naked body was stuffed in the suitcase and she had been strangled. Three days after that... She was identified by the serial number on her breast implants, which I was like, all right, okay, that science. is science. Add that to another one of my pros lists. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. I'm not laughing at that. I'm just, I thought that was really interesting that that's how they had to identify. And honestly, you had to have heard the conversation we had two hours ago about breast implants and like it... <laughs> We're, we're pro breast implants for the very pro <laughs> breast implants on this end for sure. <laughs> the autopsy reported that she had died only hours before she was found. Her white Mercedes was found abandoned in a West Hollywood parking lot, and inside was a significant amount of blood and hair. Ryan Jenkins reported Jasmine Fiore missing oh, at, <laughs> at 8.55 p.m. on August 15th. He told police that he had last seen her at 8.30 on the 14th, which wasn't true because they were out all night and there was surveillance showing that. Dummy. And they were with friends. He said that they had gone to San Diego for a poker event and they returned home to Los Angeles. She dropped him off and he hadn't heard from her since. I know. And it's your timeline doesn't add up. <laughs> Not at all. Like in The surveillance zero- footage determined that's a lie. Do they like? You're in like a fancy hotel in LA. There's going to be Where cameras. Where there's a poker tournament. There's yeah. definitely going to be. They're looking for all the, you know, like the guy from The Hangover who's like counting cards. That's what they're looking for. <laughs> they're checking for that stuff. I can't remember the one where like, he like teaches the MIT kids to count cards. Oh, yeah. That one's good. Holding out for my son to be able to do that. <laughs> oh, man. I lost where I was. Okay. Around 9 a.m. on August 16th, 2009, the day after reporting Fiore missing and after spending some time packing, Jenkins was seen leaving their L.A. home for the last time. Police said after he left Los Angeles, he went to Nevada and picked up his speedboat. On August 17th, when contacted by police, Jenkins said he was in Utah and was headed to Canada to resolve some immigration issues. On the 18th, Fiore's body was identified and the murder was reported. On the 19th, Jenkins called his dad, who informed him that Fiore had been found murdered. And at this time, Jenkins was only a person of interest. He hadn't been charged. Until you just, like, run away. Yeah. Like, so they alerted Canadian authorities to be on the lookout for him. The U.S. Coast Guard and U.S. Customs and Border Protection, they confirmed that they had Boats patrolling all of Washington looking for Jenkins as early as August 19th. On August 19th, a man matching Jenkins' description was seen piloting his boat into a marina in Point Roberts, where Jenkins' stepmother lives. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police, (laughs) the Mounties, the Mounties, they announced that Jenkins had crossed into Canada sometimes between the 19th and the 20th. So he made it across the border in his boat. On the 20th, Jenkins was charged with Fiore's murder and an arrest warrant was issued. And at about 6 p.m. on August 20th, Ryan Jenkins arrived at the Thunderbird Motel in Hope, 
British Columbia, Canada. The car had an Alberta license plate and he was with a blonde woman. They pulled up behind they pulled up beside a dumpster that was not close to the rooms. The hotel manager said that that was weird and Jenkins stayed in the car while a young woman paid cash for three nights. The guest in the room next door said that after 20 minutes, the woman left and Jenkins was in room two. That woman was actually his half-sister. The manager saw Ryan Jenkins walking outside the motel on August 21st, the next day, but said that he looked exhausted and he was not even recognizable from his pictures that they had on TV. At 11.30 on August 23rd, no one checked out of the room. The manager checked the room and found Jenkins dead, hanging from a clothes rack by a belt. No suicide note? was found, but they did find a document on his computer titled Last Will and Testament. And in it, he did not admit to killing Jasmine, but he did talk about how much he loved her and hated her and apologized to his family for what he had done. Uh On August 27th, they found a storage unit full of his stuff, including a suitcase of clothes in Washington State. And that suitcase matched the suitcases that she was in. So I know that was like the big rip pull, but let's pull back to the show really quick. After he was a suspect, they pulled the show off the air. They deleted all of the pages on the VH1 site and it removed all of the archived episodes from everywhere. It got the third season of I Love Money canceled, the one he had been on after leaving Megan Wants mm-hmm. a Millionaire, because he had won it. Yeah. <laughs> This case changed reality TV because after this happened, they found out that he had already had an assault arrest in Canada from 2005, but they only background checked him in the U.S. Mm. Yeah, I thought that was like an interesting tidbit. Um, I think I've heard I I didn't hear like all the details of the case, but I think I remember hearing like when he went on like Megan wants a millionaire, like he wasn't even a millionaire. Yeah, he was. He wasn't. It said he was worth like $1.2 million, but it, it was, was like because was, he, he was he was a real estate investor. So he had like houses, but in California, and was it's it like, like two houses. Yeah. And wasn't some of that like from his dad? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He wasn't really. He uh, they were trying to make that part of the storyline on I Love Money 3 because he kept calling her and telling her that he was going to win and he was going to get this money. And he did end up winning. And he said that once he won, because you only won $250,000. I say only, like I wouldn't die for $250,000 yeah. right now. <laughs> but uh, he said that he was finally going to give her the life he had promised her. So obviously he wasn't like rolling in it. Probably had a couple credit cards, I would imagine. Same disease. So uh, do you think there's you know, a curse or do you think it's I just do. a string of sick coincidences? So I have big thoughts on this. I think there is a direct I think there's a direct tie to how many women turn to like sleeping pills and like quaaludes after their time and with like associated with Playboy. Like yeah. I do think there is a direct link to that. Um if you like I've read some of Holly Madison's book mm-hmm. and she Holly Madison was one of Hef's girlfriends in the yes. later 2000s. Yes. So Holly Madison has a book called Down the Rabbit Hole that like depicts her time as one of his girlfriends like in shocking detail. And it talks about like how they would have essentially like orgies where the that's what the girls were given. And again, so I don't get sued. This is not my thought. This is just like what I read in the book and like mm-hmm. it's documented. I don't know if after they have, you know, if they're, I can imagine it would be hard going from the fame of being a centerfold and being recognized to going back to quote, a regular life. Yeah. And they don't get paid that much. Like No. They so, get like, I think they get like $20,000 maybe for like a, a, like a month if you are the woman of the month. But if you don't, if you're not in it all the time, you win a lot if you're playmate of the year. You win like, yeah. you win like $200,000. And then of course, you like are. you're getting, I mean, maybe, I don't know how it was in like the 50s, 60s and 70s, but like now every, you get endorsements from everything or you know, you get, yeah. you get money from that. Sponsors. Influencers. Influencers. And it seems like the majority of like terrible things happened were the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, which was a time it was notoriously hard for women anyways. Yeah. Like added objectification and the way they were treated. Makes sense that some of them wouldn't come out unscathed. Your men loved, I mean, women back then, 
I'm sorry to say, but like there were, there was not the female, like there was not the empowerment that we see now. Like I see girls who have only fans and like who, you know. Yeah. They had just gotten civil rights. Yeah. Like <laughs> I see girls now who like have only fans who strip and I'm like, you know what? That is awesome. Like rocket. I am so happy for you. Like. Yeah. They're doing it on yeah. their own terms. Yeah. They don't have to like go through men to have to do it. And I f- am here for that. There was, and I mean, I know there's still like some of those people like, oh my God, she's got an OnlyFans. Like, yeah, shut up. But there's, there, back then it was worse. Like you would have a housewife being like, this bitch is in Playboy. And it's like, they were looked down upon. Like guys like to look at them, but they were objectified. And that was like the extent of Yeah, they weren't treated nicely for that like, reason. Like you couldn't go, you, you weren't treated nicely at the PTA meeting if you were a centerfold. Like, even if it were years down the road, they'd be like, oh, my God, that's Miss March from 1965. (laughs) Like, so I can't imagine how hard it would be. I can't imagine how hard it would be in general to have, like, to be put into that type of spotlight. There's something with it, though. There's no other company where this kind of shit is happening. Consistently, yeah. Yeah. I, um, and I, you know, I guess I haven't, I would have to look more into, like, other, like, porn companies you know or stuff like Mm -hmm. like actual people like make movies maybe or other magazines like hustler is there a hustler curse i think it's hard when women like these women are women like they're people they're human beings they're moms sisters you know they're they're normal human beings and then i think in situations like this where they are objectified like you a man see i'm not saying all men i'm just saying some men can look at that and they don't see them as a person they see them as this object yeah, like and Brian it, Jenkins and his yeah. trophy wife. And, and it's – Or they see them as beautiful. Meal tickets. And, and, yeah, meal tickets, exactly. Like, oh, this person will make me money and I won't have to do mm-hmm. anything. And then they – That's a big thing with, with Dor- you, Dorothy You start Stratton. to That's lose them and you're panic, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, no. What am I going to do? I, I agree about the suicide. I think there's probably something linked there with their mental health. It makes me wonder how often back in the 50s and 60s and 70s they were given drugs. So I read specifically about that Paige Young, the one with the Mm -hmm. suicide scene. She said that Bill Cosby just had her essentially on drugs all the time. And she was just like, she was like an accessory. And um, that was the same of a lot of them. They probably were given them so that they would relax mm-hmm. and then they got addicted to them and it, that's how it happens. Uh, it is. I think that's more, what happened with Marilyn Monroe too is like yeah, they gave them to her. It's more common for a woman to be like a little reserved. Like even if you want to like own it, like yeah, you get into a studio full of lights and people you don't know. It's not just like, all right, I'm going to rip my clothes off. Here I am. I could There's see, still insecurities there. Yeah. I could see having to be given these things to relax you. Yeah. And a lot I of mean, these women I, did have trouble with like um, substance abuse, like alcohol and, you know, opiates and stuff. So, which I mean, I, I mean, you put me in a social situation and I'm better after two glasses of wine. Like I'm going to be like, Hey, what's up? Like, yeah. And then put me naked in a social situation. I'm going to need a bottle probably. Or a quaalude. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, Oh man. My heart breaks for all of these women. Yeah, I agree. It's, and like I said, I would, I'd find one and then another one would pop up. There's so many. And I'm sure there's probably more. Yeah. Like the lesser known. No doubt there is more. And I saw a couple more as I was ending this. And I was just like, I don't have room for you right now. But I will note that there are more. And it is sad. I think the thing that makes me maybe believe a little bit of a curse are just the horrific murders and deaths. Oh, yeah. Because it's not like – I mean, if you – if you gave me 30 years of ODs, I'd be like, okay, there's a there's something going on. There something is happening to where they are being becoming dependent or like they're being given these drugs. Yeah, but it wasn't. But you're having like like Jane Mansfield, like Yeah, and plane crashes and Yeah, horrific plane crashes and like being Betty Page being forgotten about and like alone. It's Betty Page. Like 
that is insane. It's crazy that that she wasn't getting the money from how well known she was and that she didn't know that she was. Yeah. And that's, that's what's crazy, right? Because I feel like we're more part of like an alternative, like pop culture scene. And she was a household name. Yeah. We all knew about, and this was the two thousands and she, but she didn't know that we knew. It's so sad to me. Just like really breaks my heart. That one really breaks my heart. Oh, what else? Which one? What other one breaks my heart? Really, they all do. It's just, and like the serial killer one, I was like, this could be a whole other episode once yeah. I got into that one. But I was going to ask you, had we talked about a serial killer in Fort Lauderdale before? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. In the 90s? When was... Gillis and all those guys. Were they the 90s too or were they with the 2000s? I think it's like late 90s, early 2000s. This was around then too. Man, down south. It's crazy. They're rampant with serial killers too. Yeah, there. it's crazy because you think about when I think of serial killers and I think of like serial killers in the prime, I think of the 70s, 60s and 70s. Yeah. And I just think they were everywhere. And then you start researching and it's like there's so man, many the more 90s, than you think they, there are. Yeah. They're, the 90s were gnarly, gnarly for serial killers. And really, that was like the last time that they could get away with it for a while. Because they really mm-hmm. can't anymore, I don't believe. There's that one kill kit guy that got away with it forever. What's his name? His name? Israel Keys. <laughs> Israel Keys. See? K-E. That's all I had. He's a, We will be covering him. He's actually like third or fourth on my list to cover but that may end up being a Patreon episode because that is a very that's very well known. And if you've seen Megan's reel, you know how we feel about <laughs> these well known cases. Oh man, guys, I try not that hard on those reels. Like I'm just like I get an idea and I'm like I'm gonna do it. And sometimes they're dumb, but I'm just like oh well. Who you know, cares? And I I would hold out C and B on. I would hold out to be C and B on them. <laughs> Though I, I do try to convince you pretty regularly because you're like, yeah. I have an idea and I'm like, do it. I get these ideas. I can do it. And then, <laughs> but anyways, uh, let us know that what you guys think. Aggression, sorry. That was do you really. Think there, do you think there's a curse, guys? What it, What's your opinion on it? Were you also sad about Betty Page? Were you as sad as I was? I don't know if you were. I remember going into your room and like pictures were. Bondage pictures all over my Yeah. Walls. Yeah, I do. You're like, wow, Meg. And the one thing I remember from your room, other than Betty Page, is it Lil John? Nope. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. Now that you say that, the Taking Back Sunday lyrics, like written on your wall. Yep, just shred them straight up. Ah, <laughs> oh, memories. You know, looking back at what made us like such a great dynamic duo gruesome twosome the gruesome twosome was we are alike enough for us to have things in common but even down to the way we dress i remember people would be like what what's going on there why what (laughs) i rocked a lot of fishnets yeah she did (laughs) (laughs) i had like an identity but even like now like yeah, we still don't dress the same. We still- <laughs> <laughs> I dress like a reformed emo kid, recovering emo kid. And I am like stuck in the 90s so hard. It's cool. The 90s are, they're trendy. Yeah, it's finally trendy and it's not just like I'm out of style. <laughs> You're not just like, yeah, I bought this windbreaker because it's trendy. No, yeah, because like, I just like it. <laughs> it's a super trendy windbreaker. The wind didn't stand a chance. Nope. It's just, it's great. Find you a friend who is complete opposite of you because it will you'll learn a lot. And yes. it will confuse a lot of people. <laughs> Be like, how does that work? I think it because like we never we never fought over boys because we did not like the same type of boys. Like, no, I liked mean ones and Connie liked nice ones mostly. <laughs> With the exception of a few. <laughs> yeah, a few. <sighs> we just talked about this last night. <laughs> yeah, we, if you're still listening and you, we had the talk about if you get homesick for a time period. Yes. In and your we life. have a, 
we have a very set chunk of time that's like the summer between or like I would say even like the end of our junior year like that like like from, the summer of 06 yeah like everything from like prom until we started our senior year was the best time of my life and I say that loving the life that I have now but there was there was it was just it's carefree carefree and like I had this yellow cobalt and we would just cruise around in it and like it was so wholesome. Like it was a really wholesome time in our life. Just cranking Fallout Boy and taking back Sunday. <laughs> like get a little emotional. <laughs> Jamming. Don't get emotional. If you're gonna cry, then I'm gonna cry. It's too much. Like you didn't even cry at any of these women who just got murdered. <laughs> but I'll cry at the thought of you. <laughs> There's a reason I wrote a book about how much I loved you. <laughs> uh. Are you guys sure you didn't date in high school? Yes, it's just a book of love. Leave my mom was convinced. She was she was like, are you? It's okay if you're. <laughs> my husband's <laughs> laughing because he knows the book. <laughs> my husband and Meg's husband pulled this book out and they were using it thinking like they could make fun of us. And we were, <laughs> we're like, what? We were like, yeah, that's, we that's were what love, love looks like. You guys are just my jealous mom- because the standards are raised so high. <laughs> My dad still jokes, like, are you guys sure, you're, like, your girlfriend, Megan? And I'm like, yeah. Now I'm just like, sure. She is. Sure. That's right. What's up? It's me. That's why we look so different. <laughs> Opposites attract. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God there wasn't an OnlyFans back then. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, we for sure would have had, like, illegal OnlyFans. <laughs> like, let's just say we're 18. And on that note, we will <laughs> smell you later. Oh, uh, real quick. Um, we're going to do, if you haven't signed up for our Patreon, we're going to do <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. Epic. Just throw this on there after all this. After all the OnlyFans talk, our Patreon, the other way we're selling ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the month, and so the weekend of the 24th, I'm assuming we're going to do like a live show where you could see us, talk to us, ask us questions about anything you guys want. And we're going to be doing a bonus episode. Okay, now bye. Bye. (laughs) Uh. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, and you'd like us to keep putting out ad-free content, here are some of the ways that you can help support Gruesome. You can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us, and you get a I knew them before they were famous moment. Follow Gruesome Podcast on Instagram and talk to us on our posts. Engage with us. We'd love to hear from you there. If you'd like to send a donation, we have a Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and to gain access to exclusive Patreon perks. If a one-time donation is more your thing, you can find our Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and our PayPal using our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether or not that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, And on Wednesdays, we're We're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye.